Hi everyone. In this episode, we included a discussion about residential schools in Canada. However, this was recorded prior to the discovery of the bodies of 215 residential school children in Kamloops, British Columbia. Our hearts go out to these children, their families, and all First Nations people who were harmed by this shameful period in Canada's history. We want to remind our First Nation listeners that they can always reach out to the Indian Residential School Survivors Society Emergency Crisis Line at 1-866-925-4419. Today we'll be discussing the legendary Canadian band The Tragically Hip, and we'll be discussing Gwyneth Paltrow's Goop. This is Doctor vs. Comedian. I'm Dr. Asif Doja, and this is the Doctor of Laughs. The legendary Doctor of Laughs. Uh, Ali Hassan. Every episode, I pick a topic for Ali from comedy and entertainment and question him about it. Then Ali picks a topic for medicine and health and grills me on that topic. Today, we'll be profiling the legendary Canadian band, The Tragically Hip. And we'll also be discussing Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop. But first, Ali, I wanted to tell you a little story to see if you uh, have any recollection of this particular drink from our childhood. My wife brought home some of that vitamin water the other day, and so uh, it was the orange flavor, and my uh, daughter tried it. She's like, oh, this tastes like a orange crush that's gone flat. So already, you know that my daughter has tried orange crush before, but I said, no, it tastes like something else. Like, what does it taste like, this this artificial orange flavor? And then I thought about it. From our childhood, the... Yes. The McDonald's <laughs> birthday parties in the back room, disgusting brown color, 20 kids having the time of their life, and immigrant parents so happy about how cheap the birthday was. Dude, come on. That orange drink was good. It was at birthday parties, at like your soccer game, the neighborhood party in the field with the, like the sack races and the two-legged races and you do all those things. I mean, I think you're giving vitamin water too much credit. Vitamin water wishes. They wish they could taste as good as our youth did with those... It was like Tang light. It was so, it was pathetic Tang, but it was ours. It's all we had and we loved it. talk to you about the tragically hip for a couple of reasons one this is a famous canadian band they have a new ep out so kind of a mini album and we'll talk about how that kind of came to be and they're also performing at the juno awards which is the canadian music industry awards on june 6th and actually for their performance on june 6th i have a little quiz for you their their lead singer died a couple of years ago and we'll we'll kind of go through a bit of a backstory on the Tragically Hip for our listeners who may not be aware. Uh, by the way, Ed, if you're not aware, like, if you're not a Canadian and you don't know the hip, let me just say that if you like rock, folksy rock, hard rock, 
alt rock, anything that rocks pretty hard, you'll probably listen to the hip and be like, where, where has this band been my whole life? So something, something to, we talk from a very, very biased Canadian perspective here, Asif and I both, about the Tragically Hip. If you're not familiar, absolutely worth a listen like maybe no other band from this country. Just so people know, people are like, oh, it doesn't everybody who listen to your podcast, aren't they all Canadian? But actually, it's not. So I'm going to give you some other countries that listen to our podcast, just, you know, so you're aware. And so we're not trying to always be Canada centric. So the United States, United Kingdom, Iran, Saudi Arabia, the Czech Republic, South Korea, Australia, Germany, the Ukraine, and the United Arab Emirates are some of the top listeners from around the world. You know, we want to make sure we're giving a background for everybody on this band. This is an interesting band, The Tragically Hip. And so they're performing at the Junos, which is the Canadian Music Awards. This That's such an understatement. Um, this is an interesting band. They're one of the best bands of all time. I'm not sure why you're underselling them. I was going to tell you why they're interesting. But first, do you know who they're performing with on the Junos? It's a Canadian female singer. I'll give you a hint. One, two, three, four. I feel like a woman. Bam. No, that would be Shania Twain. I know. It's Feist. Oh, okay. Okay, good. So that should be good. She's she's great. So the reason why I say they're an interesting band, because they are one of, if not the most popular band in Canada, I'd say over the past 30 plus years. But they never had the success outside of Canada. And it's kind of like when people have a favorite band, like an indie band that you know about, but none of your friends know about. You're like, oh, yeah, I really like this band. That's like the whole Canadian experience because you talk to your, uh, say, American friends. You're like, oh, yeah, man, the tragically hip. And like, what are you talking about? You must know people who've had this experience. They were in the U.S. either for work or visiting and the tragically hip were playing there. So they got to see them in a small venue, you know, maybe 100, 200 people, whereas in Canada, you'd have to go see them in a 10 to 20,000 seat arena. Oh, yeah, I got to go see them in a small venue. Uh, and so it's like it's like the Canada's secret, but we wanted the secret to get out, but it never actually did. It's frustrating at some level, too. I remember when I was, uh, you know, I guess in my late teens, Maestro Fresh West came out and I'm trying to explain to my cousin that there is absolutely no reason he lives in Indianapolis. And I'm like, you have to know this guy. This, this is a... And he heard the let your backbone slide. And he was like, we should just drive to a radio station and, and give this to them. We should just give them this album. This is unbelievable. But he was like, and I remember being so frustrated for a few years there. It's that, but for like 30 years with the tragically hip, it's like, this doesn't make sense. You would, you would love this beyond your wildest dreams. This band would offer you so much if you just gave them a chance. But anyway, I mean, there is some pride there, too. As you say, Canada's best kept secret. It feels like it's ours. It's so ours. And and, and maybe that's for the best, right? That it, it is Canada's thing. And we'll talk about what happened in their last concert together as a band. And, you know, they were even on a Saturday Night Live on March 25th, 1995. Uh, it seems like Dan Aykroyd kind of got them on that show. Uh, as a musical guest. And we're like, this is it. This is their chance. And nothing happened after that. And that was kind of the end in terms of breaking through in a major way in the US. But, you know, you see all the other bands like Train or, you know, Nickelback, of course, is the classic example, who just got so huge in the States. And I know Train is not Canadian, but they were formed in 1984, right? So 
in Kingston, Ontario. And I really like their first album, which is just called The Tragically Hip. It has these songs, Small Town Breakdown and Last American Exit, you know, those songs. They were just kind of appearing on the independent scene in Canada. And then they had this big breakthrough with Up to Here, which is their kind of their huge Canadian album that, that came out. Those were at 88 or so. And then progressively every two or three years coming out with, with albums. To me, their two kind of the pinnacles of their albums would be Day for Night, probably, and probably Road Apples Road as well. Road Apples, come on, say it. Just say it, of course. I, do you, what do you think? In terms First of, of all, do you know what Road Apples are? Mm-hmm. It's another Canadian thing. So their new EP that, that came out just this week, is called Saskadelphia. And that's what they originally want to call the this second major album by theirs. This is their third in total, but their second kind of major one on a major label. And the record company said, no, that's stupid. Because they want to kind of play on like, oh, are we in Canada? Are we in the US? We'll just turn constantly. We don't know where we are. And they're like, that's stupid. Pick something else. So they picked road apples, not knowing the term road apples in Canada means a pile of horse manure. In fact, when people live in the country, that will freeze and often people will play hockey with it and things like that. It's like a Canadian thing. So I think a lot of people know where road apples are in Canada, especially if you live outside of a big city, but uh, that, that's what you're getting yes, at, right? Yes, don't eat the yeah, road yeah. apples is what I was going to say. Just a little <laughs> PSA if you're visiting the country. Look, man, day for night is great, but road apples... So you know you say that in the US, people get this opportunity to see them uh, often in smaller venues. In Montreal... They booked four nights at the Spectrum. The Spectrum was a much more intimate venue, and they could have been at the Montreal Forum. They could have been at this shrine. Now, of course, Gord Downey is a Bruins man, and he probably didn't care about that at all. But they could have been at this huge, they could have done one night, but this was their work ethic at the time. So they do four nights. My friend Manish and I go to see them at the Spectrum in Montreal on their third night. So they are warmed up. They are amazing. At one point, I don't know what comes over me, alcohol probably. I just want to get on stage. And my buddy Manish tries to help me. I'm far too much weight for Manish to, to, to lift me. He, three other people lift me and I'm on stage and Gord Downey is beside, beside me. He's like arm's length away from me. His eyes are closed. He would never even know that Ali Hassan was ever beside. He would have never even, his eyes are closed. I mean, he's one of the most passionate singers you've ever seen. He goes to these incredible places in his mind and in his soul when he sings. And I stood beside him and then I jumped off stage. I sto stage dove. And you could not have written this better. People just moved out of the way. When I staged of, they just moved. They just parted. I landed on my stomach and I was like, oh my God, that could have gone so much. And I was perfectly fine. And then someone who was dancing around kicked me with the back of their heel in my lip and my lip kind of split open. I had a bleeding lip for the next like half an hour. So I was standing by the bar with a bunch of ice on my lip, just loving it, loving it. When are you going to smile with a fat lip? But I left that the concert having stood beside Gord, having stage dove, having a fat lip and having just had the best time of my life. And so Road Apples and that tour and that album mean so much more to me than just something you'd sort of listen into your car as you're driving around, you know? After the band had their last concert, I kind of was at my parents' house just cleaning out some of my old stuff from my old room, and I found this box, and it had a bunch of old concert tickets in it. So I found a whole uh, several concert tickets from 
the tragically hip i had like three or four at times that i went to go see them so same kind of energy experience though i saw them unfortunately in much bigger venues than you did and i saw them once they had a they had a touring festival kind of like a Lollapalooza, but canadian called another roadside attraction that i saw them and uh, they had other bands like spear of the west they had matthew sweet who i love so a whole bunch of bands that i liked you know and kind of one a blues traveler was, was there as well so kind of got to, to see them headline this this festival at an outdoor arena by the way if you find yourself getting aroused at the names that that asif is mentioning right now i have never met anyone who is more into canadian rock music than asif and if you think you can compete you can message him and you might you know find a soulmate but i've never seen anyone like excited about like the northern pikes and stuff like i mean it's just uh it's crazy to witness it's uh you're all in on canadiana when it comes to music it's true. And, you know, there were rules. There still are rules in Canadian radio that you have to play a certain amount of Canadian content. So it's good in a sense for bands because we get exposure to this. We don't just get overwhelmed by our neighbors to the south in terms of their musical output. And I grew up in Quebec where there were rules back then when I was growing up where you had to play a certain amount of French music every hour, at least one song. So I know more French rock than the average Canadian. A little rock was in and, uh, you know, like there's no reason any, you know, Person who doesn't speak French usually listens to that music, but I, uh, I'm a big fan. J'aurais voulu être un autre. Do you know what I'm? No, Claude Dubois. Uh, anyway. So right. So in terms of other albums by the Tragically Hip, uh, Fully Completely is another one that I think is just it, it is it is a classic that probably has the most you know well known songs in terms of Canada for them. And then I really liked Phantom Power as well, which came out in '98. It was kind of a response. In Ontario, there was this ice storm that kind of affected many parts of Ontario, and it affected Kingston, which is the hometown of the tragedy, probably the most out of every city in Ontario. Uh, you know, my friend Paul was in medical school at the time, and the power was out. He had to basically leave the city and try and find a, a friend or someone who, who had power during that time. So that influenced that album. You can kind of hear their echoing of that incident in that album. And then I, I just didn't follow them that much in the 2000s. They continued to release albums, but I didn't really follow them that much. In about 2016, the band then announced that the lead singer, Gord Downey, as you mentioned, this enigmatic charismatic figure uh, was diagnosed with a terminal brain tumor, which is um, glioblastoma multiform. Which, by the way, we should add, you know, uh, in the past, we had an episode that I think you and I both really enjoyed. We talked about Chadwick Boseman's life, and then we talked about colon cancer that took his life, and it felt like a really, you know, good pair of topics for this podcast and the theme that we go along. But you'd mentioned to me that this type of brain cancer there's nothing particularly hopeful about it, and it's a, it's a particularly sad, aggressive type of cancer that doesn't make for good radio. I mean, I wouldn't say that there's there's no hope, but people dying of disease is, is quite high, and you know we try to give treatments, and there's lots of research going on, but it is quite a terminal disease in the majority of cases. And so they announced, though, even though he had this potentially terminal brain cancer, that he would continue to tour, and they finished this A Man Machine Poem tour 
knowing that he had this diagnosis. And we'll get to, you know, their kind of final concert in a second, but here's an interesting piece of trivia. This isn't even six degrees of separation. It's like a one, you know, a million degrees of separation. But Gore Downing was diagnosed and treated in Toronto for his brain tumor. And he saw uh, a Dr. James Perry in Toronto. And in fact, even though, and even Dr. Perry had kind of said this in interviews, you know, Gore Downing asked Dr. Perry to go on tour with him for this this tour, this cross-Canada tour, this final tour of the Tragically Hip. And I think Dr. Perry's like, well, I'm not probably going to do anything, but, you know, if the lead singer of the most popular band in Canada asks you to go on tour with him, you pretty much say yes. So he went on tour with him, and there's a documentary about this this tour and this this last kind of concert series called Long Time Running, which uh, you can find on uh, a lot of streaming services. And so you, they interview this, uh, Dr. Perry. So, of course, when I, I did my pediatric neurology training in Toronto, and I rotated through Sunnybrook. So Dr. Perry, Dr. James Perry was one of my instructors, and that's who I learned a lot about brain tumors from, was from Dr. Perry. And I went, went to his clinics, and he supervised me when I was there. So that's my very remote connection to Gordon. You see? Well, that's actually three degrees degrees of separation. I'm not sure why you called it a million. I don't think you know how that game works, buddy. That's that's like almost directly. Is it because I don't think Dr. Perry would even remember who I am, let alone uh, that. So they toured around and they came to Ottawa, which is the town that I live in, and I didn't go. Some of my friends went. I've like probably, how many friends from when I was a lifeguard uh, or were super tragically hip fans uh, when I was a teen. So uh, a couple, couple of them went and I, you know, I heard about the concert from them and I, you know, I was like, oh, that's nice that you went. And then there was this special which was broadcast across Canada the final concert of the tragically hip so they went back to their hometown in Kingston they went to uh, the big arena there and they broadcast it the Prime Minister of Canada Justin Trudeau was there you you, you saw this and that w concert was apparently watched by 11.7 million people yeah one of if not the most watched thing on our national network it, they said it was one third of the Canadian population. And I believe it. You know, my sister who lives in the U.S., she's like, well, send me the link. I'll stream it. And she watched it as well. And I, so I, I turned it on and I watched it. And I didn't realize that how emotionally invested I was in the band. And they did something very interesting in that concert, which I've never seen before. They went through different albums, not in chronological order. And they play like three or four songs from that album. And then they move on to another one and play three or four. And they, and they kind of just jumped around their discography during that I you know I didn't I didn't realize again until I was watching it how much of an influence like this band had even though I would say they were never my favorite band unlike some of my buddies when I was a teenager but just the influence over time and the amount of songs like oh my gosh this song this song you know people like overuse the soundtrack to my youth but I think it, it applies well, and then there was another element that maybe you don't get into because you are a, a neurologist and you're cold like a robot but for it was a collective grieving in a way unseen ever before. I mean, the lead singer knows he has terminal cancer and he knows this is his final concert. Everybody watching, I'm almost getting emotional now thinking about it, actually, everybody watching knew that this is the last time we're ever going to see this man on stage and he has terminal cancer. He was very clear about that. He's very clear about his diagnosis and, and to watch him on that screen. And he's looking at this screen beside the microphone too. He doesn't, quite remember all the words of his songs, which is unheard of for Gore Downey, man. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. And watching this, you know, musical poet laureate of our country and knowing it's the last time, man, it was such an emotional 
thing and it was you know there was talks about maybe not broadcasting it and i would have i would have punched everybody in network broadcasting i would have just i mean because it was really one of the most incredible things to be part of knowing also that a third of the country is watching this more than like hockey playoffs and like you know canada versus the us or the ussr these i mean it's really like such an incredible national event to be part of and 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 then yeah the the, the collective sadness and joy simultaneously unbelievable unbelievable event so happy that i was part of i say part of it as i was on stage but you know what i mean we were all part of it we were all part of it of course we were. It was a collective thing. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll give Gord Downey a lot of credit. He basically, if you watch that concert, he called out the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, and Canada's treatment of First Nations people and basically said, you need to do better. That's essentially what, what, what he said. And to do that, you know, it's it's very impressive to take your last concert and try and make something out of that, you know what I mean? And really try to make a strong message. Yeah, I think the situation, the plight, the circumstances that Indigenous people find themselves in and have uh, and their treatment over decades had been a huge cause for him that he'd taken on. And yeah, he used this platform for good. That's the other thing about Gord Downey. And he, throughout the course of of his career, had a few solo albums that came out, and he released one a few months after this final concert, which was called The Secret Path, and there was a graphic novel associated with it, and kind of an animated video, and it was a concept album that talked about Cheney Wenjack, who was a First Nations boy who escaped from a Canadian residential school and if you don't know the history of canadian residential schools you should definitely look it up it's an ugly chapter it's an ugly chapter of our uh, of our history yeah and this guy died after he escaped a residential school and was trying to walk 600 kilometers back to his home and then he died and so again he put this out still you know towards the end of his life trying to make a difference right he ended up dying in october 2017 you know, when you reflect on this and you reflect kind of on the legacy of the tragically hip, like, I, I don't know, what are, what are your kind of your thoughts? I mean, I think it goes back to what I was saying, that there was a frustration that they didn't get more airplay in the U.S., but it became a source of pride because it's like, yeah, this should be our band. This should be our, our best kept secret because they represented Canada so well, like as as ambassadors of this country, they stood for the right things. They were never involved in like drugs and drinking and driving, DUI, domestic, but any kind of thing that yeah. you break up. That so they never hero. broke up. No, you know, no, they were and just, it's the same guys doing it throughout. Yeah, and even I would never forgive somebody from Canada for being a Boston Bruins fan, but Gord and his brother both are both fans, and and they transcended that hatred I have for the Boston Bruins. I'm sure they would have liked to have been more successful in the U.S. and internationally, but I don't know how much they cared. Their music is distinctly Canadian. There's no way you'd listen to this and think, oh, this is a, clearly a band from uh, North Dakota or something like that. And their references in the in their lyrics are distinctly Canadian as well. You know, talking about hockey, talking about Bill Barilko, talking about all, all these different subjects, right? So it's hard to separate, again, the past, say, like 30 years or so of Canadian pop culture from these guys. It's just not, not possible. 
So this brings us to their new album, which we talked about. There's a great oral history of kind of how they developed this album on the CBC website, which we can link to by Alan Cross, you know, Alan Cross, or a famous uh, Canadian uh, radio broadcaster. So he does a good job of kind of going over this. So what, this album, which we talked about, Saskadelphia, so these were some rejected songs, right, from the Road Apples recording sessions. Right. And not rejected because they stank. Rejected <laughs> yes, because they had used. a lot of, yeah, a lot of songs for that album already in place. And some had maybe a similar sound to other ones. And it was like kind of like, well, if we put this one on, we probably shouldn't use this one on this album. Which is great for us because now we get many years on, we, we get reminiscent of past material we've heard. And it brings you back to this era of them, right? And this 1990 era sounds very different than their stuff in the late 90s, early 2000s. But you could get transported back in time to their kind of thought process, their songwriting. Uh, and so what happened was, I don't know if you heard about this. So in 2008, there was this big Universal Studios fire where a lot of entertainment memorabilia was lost and a lot of master original recordings were lost. And so the tragedy hip, they read in a New York Times magazine article that this one had been lost and that their recordings had been lost. So they were um, a bit concerned, but then through the course of, of examining things a bit further, they're like, actually, those things had been transported back to Canada a while ago. So they, then they, you know, they were spurred on to find these and then they found these original recordings. And that's what makes up this this EP. So what did you think of this EP? Did you take a listen to it? Well, I've heard two songs. I haven't heard all of them, but obviously I did hear uh, Ouch. I played it the other day when I was sitting in on, uh, on, on CBC Radio's Q, and I loved it. I was transported, definitely. And I heard one other song on Spotify, as per your uh, your suggestion, and I like it. I mean, this will be playing for the next week in the kitchen, even though my girls will be like, what is this? And I'll be like, you shut your mouth. This is important. It's going to be an ugly scene in our uh, in our kitchen. That's what has to happen. Yeah, and I think uh, I like that first single, Ouch. You can see why some of these songs weren't included on the album, because Ouch sounds very similar to Cordelia and Twist My Arm, which are classic songs by the Tragedy And you just you realize that they couldn't have this one as well. They're just a bit too similar. But coming out now, as you're saying, so many years later, 30 plus years later, it, it's great to hear it. There's also two other songs that I really like. One's called Not Necessary, and the other one's called Crack My Spine Like a Whip. But these are two faster tempo songs. And on Road Apples, there are two amazing faster tempo songs. One is Little Bones, and the other is Three Pistols. Three Pistols is the song uh, for the last three years I've been coming out on stage to Three Pistols because I, I go to the, all the shows, you know, live shows. They're like, what song would you like to come out with? What song would you like to come out with? And I was touring with Rick Mercer, Rick Mercer, another, uh, you know, beloved Canadian icon. Uh, I was touring this country with him and they asked, what song would you like to come out with? And I was like, if no one's chosen the hip, I would be stupid. I'd be absolutely remiss not to have a hip song. And Three Pistols rocks very, very hard at the beginning. So I, I, I came out, you know, whatever we did, 25 shows or something across Canada. I came out and just to have a piece of that with me, it set me up on a good note. My friend Joey Elias, who's a fantastic comedian, veteran comedian out of Montreal, that's what he does in the back. He doesn't go over his comedy. He just listens to the hip in the back, in the green room, in the hallway before he goes on stage. That just puts him in the right mood. And I, uh, I channeled that. And yeah, that, that's one of my favorite songs, Three Pistols. 
Anyway, great album, I think, is what you're saying in the end, right? You're very happy with this EP? I think everybody should check it out, right? It's a gift of, like, old songs. They're good songs. You realize why they may not have been chosen to be included on that album. But I, I think it's definitely worth a listen. Uh, I, I would suggest everybody check it out. In summary, long live the hip. Absolutely. If it is time to get started on a subject that I know you're quite passionate about, early spoiler alert, I'll let listeners know that you're probably not going to say long live the goop, right? And we'll get we'll get to the whys and hows. But so some people will know goop. Goop is in the news for one of two reasons, typically. Number one, for the quote unquote exciting products it has and it's selling and they make news. And number two, often because of false claims, lawsuits, settlements, that kind of stuff. So, you know, in the world of all press is good press, definitely figured out how to do that. They are constantly in the news. If there's ever a moment, uh, you know, a few months go by where Goop doesn't get any press, then Gwyneth Paltrow herself chews her food and spits it in her child's mouth like a baby. Like, she just knows how to be in the press. But let's talk today. Let's focus on some of these products. You went deep. You were an insider. You went deep and watched some episodes of that Goop show on Netflix, which is, uh, you suffer for our podcast, which is amazing. Yes. I hope people appreciate this. I, I did this so you don't have to. I was on the website, so I perused the website, especially the medical stuff on the website, which we can talk about. And I watched their show, which is the Goop Lab. It's on Netflix. It came out last year on Netflix. I didn't watch all the episodes. I watched about three of them. And I can kind of give you my thoughts on that. But you have to kind of take a step back and figure out like what actually happened. You know, How did this come about? Why are there doctors and PhDs in active opposition? Position to Gwyneth Paltrow, Gwyneth Paltrow from Talented Mr. Ripley, from Shakespeare in Love. How did this come to be? From my reading, she started this off mainly as a lifestyle brand and newsletter. And that newsletter became more and more popular. You know, newsletters have really taken off, I'd say, over the past like five to 10 years in terms of popularity, in terms of you reaching your audience, your being, you know, the media producer, you know, how you want to directly reach your audience. She says the name came from someone telling her that successful internet companies always have a double O in their name. I guess that's true. There's Google. Is there another one? Yahoo? That's, is that a success story? Okay. I mean, Yahoo, they're kind of on their way down, I think. But, you know, and she wanted a word that could mean nothing and could mean anything or everything. So that's that's apparently how the name came about. Her newsletter had huge reach. And by 2017, you know, the stats showed the average age was... a. 34 years old, the household income was 100,000 plus per year. So these are very affluent people, predominantly women, though not exclusively, kind of interested in what she has to say. And when you go to the website, I don't know if you've been to the Goop website, but it's like, so beauty products, you know, food, uh, you know, recipes. Yeah, I got a lovely recipe for a sweet potato hummus that I might make at some point. Yeah. Well, there you go. Why, why not try that? Travel, style. Okay, that's all good. And then there's like wellness. Okay, yeah, maybe. And then there's like health. I'm like, but why did you have to you have to pull that into? And I think it's that latter part. But hold on a second. Isn't that what we do? Don't we pull health into our podcast? We just talked about the tragically hip and now we're talking about health. True. 
Absolutely, absolutely. The main difference is, and I'm not trying to cast aspersions on actors, but Gwyneth Paltrow is an actor and I'm a doctor. So I have at least a basis for what to talk about. And well, maybe, and maybe we'll get into that a bit later about how you present information, right? Ours is for entertainment too, but I think it's how you present it that's different. And this is the problem that came up, right? With, with you know, she said that, oh, this is just for entertainment, but then some of the things are, are just a bit kind of gross in what they do. You, have you seen the prices of some of the things on their website? Listeners, let's give you a little warning here. Let's give you a heads up. If you have children in the room or the car or wherever with you, we're going to talk about some adult sort of topics, right? I think, you know, or I am anyway, Asif. I don't know if you're going to go there, but I am. So maybe skip ahead a couple of minutes. So a couple of things. I think the kids will be more offended at using pseudoscience to try and make money. I think that's what the we really want to protect the kids against. God forbid your six-year-old goes, uh, "Mommy, I want a vaginal steaming egg for Christmas or something," right? Because we don't want to. We're not trying to promote these uh, products. But this is definitely like I was reading about this jade egg. Because the jade egg, she's been sued, right? There was a lawsuit, but then the jade egg never got taken off the website. She could. It's still there. I'm looking at it right now. So, yeah, okay. I mean, I hate to try and like clarify this, but I, I think we should be clear. Vaginal steaming was one thing that they talked about. And this egg, which is inserted in the vagina for, they called it vaginal weightlifting. Anyway, I think if you want to hear and read the most concise precise criticism of this, you need to listen to Jen Gunter, who is an uh, obstetrician trained and gynecologist trained in Canada, now lives in the US. She has a great social media presence. She has a great website. She's actually one of my idols. She has her own podcast. You got to listen to what she said. And, and really, Dr. Gunter came to prominence for actually calling out this insanity that was going on in this in this website. Yeah, and there was an argument kind of back and forth between her and Gwyneth Paltrow and the Goop people. And she says, you know, we're not trying to do anything other than correct you. Dr. Gunter is an expert on women's health. She knows the evidence behind these things and knows that it's it's crazy. And then, and she says it breaks her heart when she hears people tell them about all the useless therapies that they've wasted their money on. And, you know, part of this criticism uh, from Gunter Goop then says, you know, we have a disclaimer at the bottom of every article that says, you know, we want to induce conversation and it's not a substitute for professional medical advice, et cetera, et cetera. And so I don't think we have to go into any more detail about why those ideas are ridiculous, but Jen Gunter goes through, uh, she has blog posts about each of these kind of things that came out from Goop. I mean, are there no products that could be beneficial? She Does she sneak in a couple of jade eggs among some very, uh, you know, beneficial products or is it mostly garbage or is your point that to have any of these fake products that promote a health uh, that has no evidence uh, that it, it it promotes among other products is the problem like what are we saying here that's a big issue but there's definitely more than that in 2017 there's an organization called truth in advertising who advocates for truth in advertising they filed a complaint in california and they said there are over 50 health claims made by goop that were unsubstantiated about the characteristics or health benefits of their products and goop had to pay $125,000 for a settlement for this and they marketed these wearable stickers that claim to rebalance the energy frequency in their body 
bodies. And they said it's made of the same conductive carbon material that NASA uses in their spacesuits, and which of course NASA denied. And they said, we don't actually use conductive carbon material lining in spacesuits. And a former chief scientist at NASA basically called the claim a load of BS. There's another uh, guy who I admire a lot, another Canadian named Timothy Caulfield, who kind of debunks pseudoscience. And he's at the University of Alberta. He's a professor there. And he has a book called Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? And where he goes through in detail about some of these, these incorrect claims and not just about products. So Gwyneth Paltrow had an article on her website saying that breast cancer could be linked to underwire bras. And that has been disproven in the literature many times. The real reason is women who need more support for their breasts often have a denser breasts, which makes it harder to screen for cancer. So those patients with these larger breasts may end up having a higher risk of cancer, but that's because of their body makeup as opposed to what they wear on their body. But it's these types of things. It's like, well, what are you, what are you doing? Okay. So then tell me about uh, Goop Labs, because the Idea is that these products are not tested, they're not proven, but doesn't the Goop Lab do that? Don't they do the testing? No, that's just more the name of their show. They don't really have a, a testing lab, as far as I know. And if I'm wrong, please, Goop, send, send me the information about that. Okay. You know what? It's not Goop Lab that I'm talking about. It's Goop PhD. Is that what it's called? So Goop has come under fire. So one thing they do is they have this disclaimer that they talk about. One of the questions is why are, why are things so expensive on their website? They say our products are aspirational. In other words, they're like buying a Gucci handbag. You know, you should aspire. I mean, anyway, there's a lot of garbage. But But because of the criticism of their pricing, they are kind of like – pseudoscience claims, they start a part of their website called Goop PhD, which is somewhat admirable. So they hired some PhD researchers. Uh, I'm trying to give some credit here. And they hired some researchers to basically review the scientific evidence on various topics, on health topics. And it's not the easiest thing to find on their website. Like if you just search Goop PhD, it's hard to find, but you, you can find these topics on, on, on their website. And so I looked at a couple. I looked at ADHD and multiple sclerosis because I have some knowledge of these from my job. They will go through, you know, what the disorder is, how you diagnose it, what you can do to treat it. And they talk about a lot of the conventional therapies, which sounds good. And then they talk about kind of alternative therapies and things like that. And to be fair as well, they go through the evidence and they say, you know, in a case series, for example, which would be maybe like 12 or 13, 20 people, they found that this natural product, this extract, this whatever could help people. The issue comes out though is when you look at the page, it's all just listed one after the other. In medicine, there are different levels of evidence, of scientific evidence. And so there's a big difference if a drug was tested on hundreds of thousands of people or tens of thousands of people versus if something was tested on 10 or 20 people. It also depends whether you do a trial where you blind people or give them a placebo or something like that. Not literally blind them, obviously, but you blind the investigators to know who is on the drug, who's not, because there's a big placebo effect when you're taking something every day. So you, these are all the details that are kind of not clearly talked about. So it would be better if they are like, these are the things that have a lot of strong evidence for them that you should do. And here's some other things that don't have a lot of evidence, but maybe it's promising. And like I said, they kind of say that, but I think they could be a lot more clear about it. It's similar to Dr. Oz, who we talked about before. 
Sure. So it's not that whole, you know, four out of five dentists agree where you're deliberately waiting until you have a group of five dentists and four of them agree that uh, whatever white strips should be the. This is not manipulation of data, but this is basically not taking full responsibility for your claims. Is that right? I think their their TV show does that to a bigger extent. I think this is just not presenting the data in the most accurate way. How about that? In in a way, because again, Goop always says stuff like, we just want people to be able to access information and make up their own mind. But you need to be able to give people all the information and as well, you have to give them the quality of the evidence as well. And this is a good quality study. This is a high quality study. Different studies have what's called a risk of bias, right? So what we said about blinding participants and blinding the investigators to not know which group someone's assigned to, having a placebo control or even just a control group. These are all important things that decrease what's called the risk of bias and make studies more reliable, essentially. And unless you're including that and giving people a way to kind of appreciate that, then they just look at everything. They'll, they'll say, oh, there's a study for multiple sclerosis for interferon therapy, which is a well-established therapy, or there's evidence for using some natural product. They'll just read this and be like, yeah, it seems like there's evidence for both. But it's the level of evidence, right? And of course, and this this kind of gets more and more highlighted with their TV show. To be honest, the way I know you, how I know you, and how I know how angry you can get about things in the goop space, I haven't really seen that anger. I haven't really seen a level of disgust that I thought I might see from you about goop. So, yeah, let's dig into you. You said you watched three episodes. You almost sound like you are like, oh, there's some, you know. Find people on both sides type of thing. No, no. Oh, my God. Please, <laughs> no. That's not what I'm saying. I, I think, I think again, I was trying to give them the benefit of the doubt with a Goop PhD. But, and, and also, I don't, I think Jen Gunter, for example, Timothy Caulfield have kind of, they've said it better than I could say. And I really respect those two people. And Caulfield has a whole book about this issue. And Jen Gunter has been attacked publicly by Goop. So I think they've said it all. Who are the Goop people? Are they Goopsters? Yeah, let's call them that. I think that's the, <laughs> let's just stick with Goopsters. I also try and be fair. So that's why I said, let me watch some of these episodes and actually see. I do, do I think just based on their website, they should be commenting on some of these health things? No, I don't think that they should be. And their experts, by the way, in their website are PhDs, but they're not MDs, right? So again, I'm not really sure they should be commenting on it, but let's go through some of the episodes that I watched. I have different opinions depending on the episode. So one of the episodes I watched is called The Health Span Plan, and it talks about anti-aging. So this episode I didn't think was too bad. They had two scientists on it. One of his name is Walter Longo. Have you heard about this guy? I know that guy. You know, I, I actually, I'm sort of fascinated by Walter Longo and people like him because it's like the way I looked at my family and my community. I'm like, something's wrong here. And you try to make changes. That's basically what happened. His family comes from Calabria in Italy. And he left Italy to the United States. And he saw his U.S. Italian relatives eating a similar diet to what they had in Italy. But I guess the way they were eating and how much they were eating, tons of cardiovascular disease and other health problems. And because of that, was inspired to go into this field of, uh, of anti-aging and, and do kind of like personal scientific experiments, right? Using himself as a lab almost. And uh, I don't know, I find that very, very fascinating. So I'm happy to hear that you don't think he's a quack. 
No, no. And in fact, on a previous episode, we talked about intermittent fasting and the evidence for that using cancer and aging and things like that. And he's done a lot of these studies published in very good journals. He has hundreds of articles and he's a very well-established scientist. Now, he also has a book now. He talks about fasting in this show. And well, maybe we'll get to what they covered in the show. So in addition to him, there's this other scientist called Morgan Levine, and she's developed some, some methods of quantifying aging. So you do a blood test, you look for different kind of biochemistry in the body, and that can give you a biologic age, right? So your chronologic age might be 47, but if you're very healthy and lead a healthy lifestyle, examining this chemistry could bring your biologic age down to like 45. Or if you have a very unhealthy lifestyle, it would go up. So that's kind of how she quantifies this. So what they did is they kind of combined both their research and Gwyneth Paltrow and two of her other associates from Goop. What they did was they uh, tried a different diet for each of them. So they did a baseline blood work to look at their biologic age. And then one of them did a, a pescatarian diet. One of them, I think, did a vegan diet. And then Gwyneth Paltrow did a fasting. And they looked at it and then they they saw the decreases because of adhering to these different diets when they followed them up like a week or two later. And they all had decreases in their biologic age, but Gwyneth Paltrow had the biggest because she did the fasting diet. And so that I think is like, it's interesting. They're not making any bigger claims than we use this method to measure your biologic age. We saw some changes in these three people, right? That's That's all they're kind of saying. And in fact, Dr. Longo is pretty responsible in saying like, just fasting all the time continuously is not healthy for you because there's adverse effects from fasting as well, which we talked about in a previous episode. So he's very balanced. Now he has a book out about a diet like called the longevity diet, which is kind of mimics fasting, but you not, don't have to have the risks of fasting. I, I haven't read it. I don't know how supported that is or not. So I thought that episode wasn't, wasn't bad. And, and it's, it's kind of fulfilling what they said. It's entertaining based in some science. Okay. So that's, that's not bad. I can, I can see how that episode came to be. You can probably picture in your mind the producers pitching in. Okay. So that's fine. There's also a follow the money thing, you know, like they're not really asking you to buy any products and like uh, support something in, you know what I mean? It's like, Hey, we could probably all stand to eat a little less. Right. That in the sense, they're similar to Dr. Oz's show where he's not peddling specific products and they're not, at least it doesn't come off obvious to me in the three episodes I watched. This is starting to be the problem, right? I had to look up Walter Longo and Morgan Levine. And I looked at their stuff, looked at their publications. I'm like, oh, these people are pretty solid researchers. Then the next one is about Wim Hof. And I think you've probably heard about Wim Hof before. He's pretty well known. He talks about cold therapy, right? He's he's an extreme athlete. He's been talked about a lot on a lot of different TV shows and um, and podcasts and books and things like that. So basically he uh, has this ability to adjust his what we call autonomic nervous system, which controls your temperature, blood pressure, heart rate, and things like that. And he, through breathing techniques and things like that, can do that. So that's why in the show, they jump into like a lake that's like seven degrees. You know, he's like, normally you would not be able to do this, but I teach you how to do this. And they do exercise in the snow and, and things like that. And so... Again, I mean, it's not bad. And there is one study which often gets quoted that Wim Hof, his techniques were, were used in, where it's a study where they actually injected people with, you know, E. coli, Ali, when you eat contaminated food, you know, 
familiar. Try to avoid it as much as possible. You should. They had the E. coli endotoxin, so the toxin that's secreted by the bacteria, and they injected it into people. And people who used his techniques had a decreased inflammatory response to the injection of, of the E. coli just through using their techniques. There's no other difference between the groups, which is pretty crazy because you're altering your body, physiology, inflammation, just based on using breathing techniques and altering your nervous system. So it's pretty interesting and promising. Now, that's probably where the claims should stop. There's an interesting study that did this. That's all we, we can really say. Further things like that, Wim Hof has a book and you know has appeared in all these things and people go to him for his expertise and I'm sure he is not poor from providing this expertise. So there's a case they talk about of a guy who had Guillain-Barre syndrome. Do you know what Guillain-Barre syndrome is? No. So this is an autoimmune disorder. Usually you can get it sometimes after an infection or something like that. And an autoimmune disease is when you generate antibodies to kind of combat an infection, but your body makes a mistake and it starts attacking your own body. That's basically what autoimmune disorders are. That's what, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, some forms of thyroid disease, lots of things can be autoimmune. Autoimmune attack on your nerves. So I see a lot of people who have Guillain-Barre syndrome and he was paralyzed. It sounds like he was sick in the hospital. And then I guess his kids came to him and said, oh, you should do this Wim Hof method. And, and this guy's like, and then I improved and by three months I was back to normal which is a great story and I'm very happy for this gentleman that he got back to normal. However, you're missing some of the story. Were you treated with the typical things we use for Guillain-Barre syndrome like IVIG? What's the natural course? Well, lots of people improve over three months. Not everybody goes back to normal after it, but lots of people do. And three months seems like a reasonable amount of time to improve. What about your physiotherapy? Did you do physiotherapy? Did you do occupational therapy? What were you doing to and rehab? Did you do all this stuff to get back to normal? Or did you just do the breathing and then you were fine in three months? I don't know. I'm guessing. Again, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not trying to, you know, make any assumptions, but I usually that's not how we would treat somebody, right? We would just say, do these breathing exercises and that's it. Could it have played a role? I don't know. But that's started to be the problem with these Goop episodes is they're presenting one side and not the other side. And remember, people in Goop are always saying, we just want people to be able to access the information and make up their own mind. But you're not allowing people to make up your own mind if you don't present a counter argument, right? And I can't find this information on this particular gentleman. Maybe it's out there somewhere, but I don't know. So how can I make up my mind? All you're seeing is one side of the story. And this kind of gets even more problematic in the third episode I watched. I know about Wim Hof. It, it's become synonymous with, um, you know, cold water. Cryotherapy. Cryotherapy. Stuff like that. And, and, you know, people who do these like sort of polar bear jumps and jump in the water and cold, cold baths and all that. They say they feel great. From a, a muscle and and tendon and you know th that whole perspective, they they feel stronger and aches and pains go away. So you know it's become synonymous with that with that. It's much more than that, but also it's important to note that people have died while attempting the Wim Hof method. Was that mentioned at all? It was not mentioned that I remember from the show, but it certainly it's been described if you read some, some entries on this. And and I'm sure he would all, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's not an evil person. I'm sure he would also want people to avoid doing these things without the proper preparation and training and things like that. Well, there's a comment by him that says that Hoff, uh, Wim Hof, now cautions against using his method when diving or driving due to possibility of blackout. Probably should have mentioned that earlier on.
right? Probably didn't want to exactly. wait till somebody's doing it while diving or driving. Well, exactly. So I think these need to be mentioned, right? Every therapy, it doesn't matter what it is, there are risks to it, right? Risks and benefit. And we talk about that a lot these days with vaccinations and things like that. But there's always risk to everything. Do not think that there's not. We talked about it with cannabis. You know, we don't know long-term side effects when you're giving cannabis to kids. We just don't know because we've never done it before. So you can't say there's no side effects. Just, just be, you know, and it kind of dovetails in nicely with this next episode I was going to talk about because they, they say one of the quotes in the episode that we're going to talk about called the energy energy experience is just because something isn't proven doesn't mean it doesn't work. One of their experts says, says this, right, but it doesn't mean it does work and it doesn't mean it's free of side effects because you haven't studied it. And it doesn't mean it will work long term. Exactly. So there's so many things to, to keep in mind about that. Now, and, and again, so they have two guys on it. Their names were John Amaral and Apostolos Lekos. And I thought, oh, okay. So I just watched the episode where they had two PhD people, prestigious universities in the US. Awesome. These guys are probably similar. They're not, but you don't know that watching it. I had to kind of look up these guys the same way I looked up the other people. And whereas Walter Longo and Morgan Levine are these well-established PhDs, I can look at all their research papers. These two guys, there's no research. Let me explain what at least John Amaral does. So he's like an energy healing practitioner, okay? So what he does is he manipulates the energy around you and induces change in your body. And I mean, they quote quantum physics, something can be a particle or a wave, but the act of observation can sometimes change what you're looking and change the state of matter that it's in. I mean, Asif, you know how much I know about quantum physics, so you barely have to cover this again. This is just, uh, yeah. Sorry. So so basically, they, they make that statement, which is true. So observation can affect objects. And then they say, this means that consciousness can affect your body and matter. And I'm like, that's not what it means. Well, why are, how are you connecting these things, you know? And so you got to watch the episode if you want to laugh, Ali. But basically, it's him kind of guiding his hands, not touching you, guiding his hands over you. And then you can see him kind of pulling and almost like a marionette on a string. Like he'll pull and then their abdomen will go forward and their flex and they have all these things. This is faith healer vibes. This is those religious leaders who uh, give people sight when they were blind type of thing, no? That's right, exactly. You're right. This is this is the type of thing it is, and I'm like, what's going on here? And then you have people who talk about how it helps them and things like that. And again, I'm not saying it doesn't help people. It certainly may help people. Would it help you more than just going to a psychologist or therapist and talking about your problems? Probably seeing a psychologist would be more effective. At least we know there's evidence for that. They have another case report on this, kind of like a person who's talking about this person had lymphoma. I believe it was B-cell lymphoma. So they had numbness from their chest down and, and nothing was helping it. Okay. So that's kind of what they said. And then they did this technique with this guy and, and then he improved. There's more to this story that meets the eye. Having numbness from your chest down, there's only two possibilities in neurology for what causes that. One is a spinal cord problem. So could he have a spinal cord problem from his lymphoma? P possibly. You know, would it only cause numbness? Probably not. Okay. The other thing we see though is some people can have like a psychosomatic illness, right? A psychological trigger. And then because numbness that kind of cuts off at one area and goes down is either spinal cord or it's likely psychosomatic. It's not going to be from something like the Guillain-Barre syndrome, that nerve attack that we talked about in the previous case. So 
again, I don't know because I don't know what did this guy's MRI scan show of his spine? Did he have something there? What was causing it? So we don't have that information. He says he was cured by using this energy healing technique, but maybe yours was all psychosomatic. If that's the case, this energy healing technique might work because it's not doing anything anyway. It's, it's just not providing that extra information. That's again, the problem. Like you're, you're just showing a very biased viewpoint of, of what's going on. What about all the people who tried this and didn't work? The other thing that, I, that, that's, that starts to really bother me with some of these practitioners, how much do you think it costs for a, a one hour private session with this guy? I mean, maybe it's not an hour, but a private session with this guy. A couple hundred bucks, I guess. $2,500. Oh. And he, of course, where is he based out of? California, LA. You know, this is, you know, he wants to be the person to the stars. You know, if you want to train with him, if you want to be a, some other energy healer to learn the techniques, you can go. Of course, I don't know how much that costs. Probably quite a bit of money. And then you think about, okay, for autism, right, there's a type of therapy called ABA therapy which is well uh, recognized, evidence-based. It's a primary treatment for patients with autism. Do you think the people who created ABA therapy would be like, we should try and make as much money for us as possible. So let's patent this therapy and we'll be the only people who do it. And if you want to learn it, we'll charge that. You still have to learn how to do ABA therapy, of course, because therapists have to learn how to do it. But their primary motivation wasn't to make money and keep this hidden. So in other words, there's this financial interest in this. And then secondarily, there's this idea that why wouldn't you want everyone to benefit from this? If this really helped, if this really helped, wouldn't you want this in every single hospital in the world? Wouldn't you want that? Why wouldn't you want that? Just like the people who create ABA therapy, they want every child in the world with autism to benefit from it. That's why there's some huge waiting list for the ABA therapy, because so many people are demanding it, and it's such an important treatment for autism. Why wouldn't you want everybody to do it? And why would you want to do no scientific studies on it? Because I looked up John Amaral just like looked up those other people. I couldn't find any scientific studies that he was involved in with this. Why wouldn't you want to prove it and then get it adapted into the mainstream? Right. So why? What you're asking me about about ABA theory reminds me of insulin. Wouldn't we want children, adults, old people who have diabetes to just have access to insulin? But the Banting, when he discovered insulin, he didn't patent it because he wanted it to be he thought it was unethical, like right from the get go. The other thing is pharmaceutical companies need to prove that something works. Otherwise, it's not a pharmaceutical. Right. Period. And the US, you have to have the FDA approve it. In Canada, you need Health Canada to approve it. If not, it's not being marketed as a drug and you can't make any money from it. And so this guy doesn't have to have any, he's not subject to any of these? Of course not. And what would be his motivation to do that? Because if he did a study that showed that it didn't work, then, oh, so suddenly I don't make any more money and everybody thinks I'm a fraud. But wouldn't you want to prove that? That's just it's just a different philosophy. Uh, no physician or scientist would want to introduce something that can't be proven scientifically. Like, why would you do that? Because then there's the worry that you're scamming people, right? And that's the problem with this. All right. Well, I think we'll end it on this. I think a lot of people are probably wondering the same thing that I'm wondering. I'm on the Goop site, 83 bucks for a jade egg. Do I buy it and insert it in myself, yay or nay? I just need a yay or nay. Nothing? Okay. All right.
Okay, well, that is our episode for today. A lot to think about. You, um, my full respect to you for doing that research. You went down a, you went down quite the rabbit hole. Yeah, I tell you, the things I sacrifice, I did lose a few brain cells during that, but whatever. I'm glad I did it. You know, it's interesting. You usually ask me at this point, hey, Ali, anything to promote? And I have been promoting aggressively a comedy show, a live comedy show in Peterborough, Ontario. I've been singing from the rooftops about that show. That show's canceled. Nothing will take Peterborough away from me. And in fact, I was wrong. Peterborough has been taken away to be rescheduled, but we'll see what happens. Well, hopefully just postponed. I mean, things are opening up in uh, the U.S., hopefully eventually in Canada as well. So hopefully that will be rescheduled. Hopefully, yeah. As it looks right now, I will likely be in Montreal at, uh, at the end of July, and I'll be part of the Just for Last Festival this year. They're having a hybrid festival, so that'll be part of my life, it seems. But Peterborough, alas, we'll have to wait. Please follow us on social media, Dr. V Comedian. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're all over the place. LinkedIn, Ali got to set it up on LinkedIn, so we're all over the place. You know, one thing you could do to really help us out, just mention the podcast to one other person you know who listens to podcasts. Just say, you know, give this a listen. That would really help us out. And please remember that although I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. Medical issues we talk about are for your interest and information only and are not medical advice. So please consult your medical professionals for actual medical advice. Thanks everyone for listening. Have a great one. Bye.